Let us open our ears, our minds, our imaginations, and our souls as we listen across time and space and seek to hear this story for the first time today. Our readings from the Gospel this morning are Luke 15, 13, and 11b to 32i. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and he went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard the music and the dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry again and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you. And I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours 
was dead and has come to life. He was lost and now he has been found. The good news of Jesus Christ. Maria was walking home from school. That morning, she had begged to wear her mom's favorite scarf. As she walked along, Maria swung the scarf back and forth, and first it swung across her arms, and then it swung across her legs. When she was pretending it was a lasso, it swung through a puddle. Maria swung the scarf more and more wildly until it got caught in a tree branch above her head. She yanked and yanked, and when she finally got it free, it was muddy and had a large tear in it. Maria quickly shoved the scarf in her backpack and walked straight home. When she got in the door, she hung up her backpack and went to her room, ignoring her grandma who asked if she wanted a snack. She stayed in her room the rest of the afternoon. She was angry. Her mom shouldn't have let her borrow the scarf anyway. None of this would have happened if her grandma had picked her up from school. Finally, Maria began to cry. She knew she should have been more careful with her mother's favorite scarf. She heard the front door open. Her mom was home from work. Maria knew what she had to do. She walked down the stairs and opened her backpack. She pulled out the scarf and told her mom what had happened. Her mom gave her a big hug. She could tell that Maria was very sorry, Maria's mom told her that she was glad that Maria had been honest. She also told Maria that she loved her more than any scarf. A prayer. God, you love us more than we can even imagine. We are glad that you always want what is best for us. Sometimes that means we have to do difficult things in order to make things right. Give us courage when we need to say we are sorry. A prayer for the helpers. And may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Within this congregation and without, we have varying degrees of familiarity and comfort with the practice of confession. We confess every week here in worship, and some of us might have grown up confessing personally to a parish priest or to a ward bishop. Others may have, might have spent agonizing hours on their fourth step, their fearless moral inventory. Still others might have grown up being told that their very existence was sinful and needed to be confessed, which I want to say right now that you never need to apologize 
for being the you that God made you to be. Nothing that God made is unholy. And even though we may all have different comfort levels and familiarity with the language of sin, I think I can safely assume that all of us have experience with sin, with making mistakes, with rupturing or straining a relationship, even if only with yourself or with regret and with guilt. I might be wrong, though, so just in case, raise your hand if you've never once in your life caused harm or had a regret or said something you wished you could take back or fibbed or done something self-destructive. No one? That's what I thought. Sin is a universal aspect of the human experience. Anyone remember the children's book, Everybody Poops? Well, I'm here to tell you what you already know to be true. Everybody sins. One of the lessons of the parable of the lost son is that confession is the bridge from the guilt or even shame of sin to restoration and peace. This is because confession requires authenticity and reflects commitment. Think back to the story of Maria and her mother's scarf. True reconciliation requires authenticity in order for the full cycle of rupture and repair and grace to circle through and restore wholeness. Imagine Maria had fibbed and said that the wind had blown the scarf off of her into the tree, and that's how it was torn. Her mother's subsequent reassurances of, it's just a scarf, it's okay, it was an accident, might have felt a little hollow. And in insecure moments, Maria might have found herself thinking, my mom's only saying that because she thought it was an accident. If she knew I had been careless with the scarf, she'd be really mad and she might not love me anymore. And I know that that sounds like just the catastrophizing of a child's anxious mind, but I think deep down, many of us have in our adult lives felt similar fears. If my teacher, if my partner, if my sibling, if my pastor, if my child only knew the whole truth, if they only knew who I really was, they wouldn't love or accept me anymore. Relationships are crucial to our survival, and the fear of losing a relationship can truly feel like a matter of life and death, at least to our nervous systems. Think about that. Back to Maria. Compare the meager reassurance of acceptance in the face of an accident with the full explosive grace of love and acceptance in the face of truth. Being loved and accepted for who we are has much more of a liberating effect on our souls when we are open and honest about who we are, both with ourselves and with others. So why do we confess to God? I mean, is it even possible to be inauthentic with God when God knows intimately every corner of our soul? We were just talking about this in confirmation this morning. If God knows everything, why do you have to like give the recap? <laughs> I mean, just as the father in this story probably already knew through the grapevine that his son had squandered his inheritance living recklessly, God already knows everything that's happened. 
Well, see, that's the other part of confessing. It shows a commitment to self-awareness, to restoration and reconciliation. It shows, I want this relationship to be whole more than I want to avoid the fear and vulnerability that confessing brings up in me. Confessing is the first step back onto the path that leads us towards right relationship. And the act of confession itself communicates the desire for a relationship and wholeness. It is how we come home. One similarity that jumped out at me between Maria's story and the parable of the lost son was the gladness and even the joy that accompanied the grace that the parent offered their child. Maria's mother told her that she was glad that Maria had been honest offering her a hug as a physical expression of her love and acceptance and forgiveness. The son's father ran out to greet him, delighting that his son had come home, that he wanted to reestablish their close relationship. The father's exuberant grace and joyful forgiveness and Maria's mother's tender, loving reassurance both speak to God's abundant and unconditional love. It was a lot harder for the older son to forgive his sibling, as forgiveness doesn't always come easily to us human beings, nor should it ever be forced. I imagine if there were another chapter to this story, the younger son might have need to acknowledge the ways that his departure might have hurt his brother in order for reconciliation to be possible there. Nevertheless, God is that parent wrapping their arms around a fearful, sheepish child. God is that parent shamelessly running with abandon down the road to kiss the cheek of their long-lost child. Our curriculum devotional that we've been working with in church school and worship reflects that whether the son's confession is heartfelt or an act of desperate manipulation cannot be known, but it is a turning point that leads him home. Confession, heartfelt or not, is an act of radical authenticity. It puts our worst bits front and center Without any real protection from scrutiny or judgment, it shines a light on those things that we wish were not a part of us or a part of our story, forcing us to show the entirety of ourselves. Confession gives God a chance to tell us who you are is not what you've done. The guilt we feel when we've betrayed our own values is a useful signpost for where we might need to recalibrate and make repairs. Guilt tells us, I've done something wrong. Shame tells us, I am wrong. And it's easy to intertwine our actions with our identity in a painful spiral of shame and isolation. Confession stops that cycle. It opens us up to the reality of forgiveness and acceptance. God says to us, you are my beloved child. You are not wrong. I love you as much as I did the moment you were created, which is more than you can possibly imagine. 
I want to be in relationship with you no matter what. My love for you is unconditional. We'll figure this out together. There's lots to make right, but for now, give your soul a rest and let me celebrate your turning back towards me. So maybe as we look towards Advent, which begins two weeks from today, how did that happen? Maybe in these next couple weeks, we can each try to identify one relationship that we wish to turn back towards and heal. It can be a relationship with ourself or with a neighbor or with society or with God. And we can practice identifying our part in its rupture. And if we're feeling extra courageous or just want to taste that incredible liberation of acceptance, we can confess. And then we can celebrate. For what has died has come alive again. What was lost has been found. Amen.